Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Hello and welcome to the session Failing While Scaling, where I've invited the new found CEO of Fool's Quest, Shams Johnny, to talk about common pitfalls when growing your company. Hello. You're- Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let me start with some introductions. I'm Junie, the Legacy Portfolio Manager at Paradox. I've been here for about a year. And my first and best accomplishment this year is that I've managed to chase jumps out of the company within the first year. So no, yeah. jokes aside, I was actually inspired to join Paradox in part by Shams' earlier talks and podcast series, Spotlighting Failure and Learnings. And as such, I couldn't resist the opportunity to hear him out on one of my favorite topics. Welcome, Shams. Thanks so much for having me, Junie. Uh, it's uh, it's always scary to hear that somebody has actually listened to what I've said and uh, uh, taken it to heart. But uh, trying to listen to you has done me good on occasion. Good and uh, well, I'm really looking forward to then talking a bit more because you and I usually have a lot of fun when we talk. Agreed. So let's set the tone for the for this uh this session tell us your growth story because if memory serves your official working start in the industry saw you fired within your first week followed (laughs) by a mind-numbing soul-hollowing period outside of the industry so you would expect it could only grow from there (laughs) exactly no yeah uh i uh, i've got an engineering and design background i was uh, i started at avalanche studios in in 15 years ago or something i was hired on a monday fired on a friday of that same week together with 50 percent of the company uh because the publisher in the us uh canceled the project so that was my first taste of the games industry but i was on such a natural high of actually getting hired so the firing actually didn't register with me uh, it was only until later where I had to find another job. It became quite uh, apparent to me. But uh, I, I came back to Avalanche. I worked at Avalanche, and I worked at on a number of AAA projects that were all canceled. And after a while, I was like, "Man, I gotta, I gotta work on the other side." And I, and I want to be the one who gets to cancel the projects because that seems so much more fun than being on the receiving end. So I applied and started working at Paradox Interactive uh, in 2009, which is uh, about 12 and a half years ago, uh, which was the only publisher in Sweden at the time. Uh, and it was, it was a really small company, 23 people in total, um, four people in publishing. Um, and then I joined the company and I ended up um, helping kind of spearhead most of the functions that started at the company, production, uh, product management, brand management, uh, formalizing business development. And for the better part of those 12 years, uh, I uh, I ran the games portfolio, which essentially meant that I was in charge together with the team of finding and signing new games for the Paradox portfolio. And trying to, the, the ultimate vision for Paradox was to try to sell a blank box to the players, saying it just said Paradox Interactive, but the game came 
the fact that it was published by Paradox came with the promise that it would be an endless, complex, deep game that would be rewarding. Uh, that was kind of the vision. I don't know if we fully reached uh, that uh, over those years. But I was at Paradox for about 12 years. I left in October of last year in, in, in part because of you, but not in the way you think it was. So, so you didn't push me out. I was my way out. And I think our conversations maybe helped me. So I hope nobody from Paradox or your boss is listening because we'll have to have stern words with you. Um, uh, yeah. And since then, I've set up a very small company uh, that consists mainly of myself called Fool's Quest because it's that's what it is. Uh, and the purpose of the company is to kind of help small to mid-sized gaming companies who are going through growth to hopefully avoid some of the mistakes that uh, I and others uh, have made in the games industry that I've seen. So, I mean, Paradox was about 800 people at the time I left, 10 studios in uh, six different countries, many different growth spurts. And we worked, and I worked with many different companies who in turn also went through growth problems. So, so I have a smattering of mistakes of my own and others around to hopefully uh, help and navigate. Uh, so whenever I talk to companies now and during, especially during this show, I've had four or five meetings today and six meetings yesterday. I think every company I've talked to has talked about when we grow or grow in some shape or form and fashion. So it's, uh, it's obviously a, a built-in part of what the business of working in video games, growth happens. So it's it's great to be able to kind of talk about it for a little bit uh, and uh, see if uh, there are any learnings to draw from uh, the horrible experiences I've had over the years. So as we walk along this journey of growth, um, thinking about what can lead us astray, how to prevent it from happening, worst case, uh, how to get back on track, what kind of stops are we going to be making along the way in this talk? Um, that's a good question. So I think that we'll, we'll try to... Whenever I look at growth, I try to break it down in some some of the salient high level points um, that one inevitably runs across uh, when you're building a company. Uh, I try to kind of jot them down and, and make a, a kind of a cornerstones to, to, to painting regarding growth. And I would uh, describe that as you have on one corner, you have leadership, you have culture in one end, you have maybe hiring and recruiting and another one. Um, another part of it is defining how you work and what kind of mindset you have as you're doing this. Uh, and uh, another part of it is how you learn. Uh, I think these are a few of the cornerstones. We'll see if we have uh, time to hit all of them and how we'll tackle this. But to name a few, I would say that those that's how I kind of tackle the topic of growth uh, at large. And as a, a newbie coming into the industry, having skipped economics throughout secondary school, uh, I was not really aware of why growth was important because, you know, I saw everyone around me striving for it, but it's like, why? Yeah, I think uh, you and I both had the same experience uh, in the sense that growth is one of those things that just nobody, nobody kind of gets into the games industry because of growth or it's something that does, does exist, but I think it's generally underestimated that how you kind of um, uh, uh, deal with it. And um, and uh, we're going to touch upon it, one or more two of those that things that just exist and we take them for maybe we underestimate them a little bit. And I'm going to come back to that later. But the reason growth is important as a concept um, and I'm going to draw a little parallel from Star Wars here is that I think that the quote goes, only a Sith deals in absolutes, 
uh, and maybe it's Jedi's, I don't know, they're very similar. Uh, but my belief is that a company is either growing or it's stagnating. I think there are only two states when it comes to that access. Um, I don't think that really you can even have a company at a status quo level because status quo to me is stagnation because even if you're not changing or growing, everyone else is. We know that there's a fortnight born every like nine months in this industry that completely upends everything. So not changing, not growing is definitely stagnation in my book. And I think that all of us have different motivations for why we're in the games industry, where we fall along the scale of like, I make games because art and capitalism is bad versus I want to buy my hundredth real life size X-Wing replica and nobody can stop me from, you know, building an actual one with all my money. We end up somewhere along the spectrum. Uh, but regardless of where your faith or belief is, you're going to run up against the concept of, of, of growth. And it's going to mean many different things, right? It might mean, you know, making different types of games. It might mean making better games uh, or making growth could mean like the process of making games could be easier. Or it could just be the simple fact of making more money. So you have a bit more peace and quiet as you kind of uh, uh, create your art. So that is growth in itself. Uh, I mean, now obviously financial growth is the, the yardstick which the world uses to measure growth in, in most terms. Uh, maybe we should be using happiness, but for better or worse, we're actually using uh, growth for the most part, growth in revenue. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think most of us end up somewhere along a little bit column A and a little bit column B. But I think the underestimation is the dangerous part. If you, if, you, if you don't have a growth mindset and have a plan for growth and see it as something that happens to you, you run the risk of just being this passive bystander and being left in the wake and growth is something and change is something that happens to you instead of you being in charge of your destiny and shaping it to whatever means and ends make most sense for yourself. So I think that the kind of first, I'm going to be talking in terms of pitfalls and, and kind of takeaways in that sense. And I think that the first pitfall and takeaway when it comes to growth is underestimating that it exists and not understanding that growth is a means to an end. It's not the end itself necessarily. Uh, and if you don't know what your end is, your growth can end up being a colossal waste of time, uh, which is painful. And and growing in the wrong direction is just, we all know, like, you know, you measure twice, cut once, right? You have to backtrack and do uh, all those kind of things. So I think the first kind of pitfall that I'll be talking about in the takeaway w would be that don't don't think that growth is measuring the number of employees you have or how many square feet or meters you have in your office. Um, these are all just metrics to kind of take you towards your long-term goals. And, and that's why if you and your closest leadership don't have clear goals on where you're headed and why, um, and why growth is needed to take you there, you're going to uh, run into a lot of issues. And this, and I know this sounds completely asinine that you should know where you're headed, but believe me, and I, how often it happens that people and on forget that it's very good to have a clear direction of where you're headed, and you need to update that as you're headed along the journey. Uh, so it's, um, I, I can't stress that enough.
Yeah, so in a sense, growth helps you build resilience on your journey to whatever your final goal is. And let, let's move on to, to one of the topics that we had in mind. Uh, say you have a bit of an idea, you know, whether you're column A or column B or anywhere in between, uh, and you realize that you're going to have to stimulate uh, uh, some form of growth within your company, within your team to reach wherever you're headed. Um, okay. But you need to steer that ship. Uh, yep. How would you go about that? Uh, well, I mean, this is a good time to talk about leadership. I, I just want to comment first on something that you said. You said you have to grow, uh, uh, I think. And I, I think that's a very um, uh, apt kind of description because like, you're realizing that it, growth in itself can be quite painful and, and uh, like we said, can be bad if you do it wrong. So it shouldn't be something that is pursued necessarily willy-nilly unless it takes you to something. Um, and that's it's it's that thing you just said. We have to do it in order to reach something else. But in order to kind of grow in the best sense, um, I think that a big mistake that I've made, I've seen other companies make, uh, still make, and it's really hard, is to think that all of that leadership and growth and setting that target needs to be derived from yourself uh, instead of leading through others. Guilty uh, as charged. <laughs> I think that uh, a lot of us are used to doing a lot of stuff ourselves because we know we trust ourselves, we're good at it, and uh, it's faster if we do it ourselves. But we understand that it's actually quite impossible to really grow a lot uh, through oneself and not through others. There's, I think Jeff Bezos had the two pizza team uh, rule, the, and that's the that's the feeding of two uh, of a team on two p giant American pizzas, of course. Uh, but when you have team size that are fairly small, leading is not as hard. You can basically raise your voice, and everyone can hear you, and you have a sense of direction and information flow is much easier. But as soon as you reach a point where you have a bigger team, and this is again when you're growing, at some point you need to be able to communicate effectively and lead effectively. And that's hard to do when you're more people. And that's when you get to the point where either you work yourself to death, not good, or you lead through others. And that means that you have to lead through your uh, lieutenants, uh, your generals, whatever you want to call it. I'll be using many military analogies because uh, 12 years at Paradox uh, really puts the Wehrmacht in, uh, in leadership, I could say. Um, but it's incredibly important then that you create alignment between yourself and the goals you're setting for the growth of the company, of the team, of the game, and the people around you that you're leading through. Uh, there are a lot of examples throughout, um, uh, you know, military tactics or you know, business school about how how this could be done. I'm going to give you a couple of practical examples. Coming back to the World War II, Germany uh, did quite well during the early stages of World War II when they were invading France, whereas France had a very good army, uh, but were not as effective. And one of the reasons for that was that the German generals uh, had largely a, they had autonomy in how to achieve their goals uh, and didn't have to check back with HQ whenever the circumstances changed, whereas the French generals constantly had to check back with HQ. Uh, and that allowed the German generals to be quite more flexible in achieving their goals. And this is, you know, in military tactics, this is called mission-based tactics. Uh, this happens all the time in game development as well. You have leads, they know where you're headed, they have autonomy to decide their own resources and kind of lead 
their troops in the best uh, fashion they possibly can. And this is the only way you can scale. But then, then that requires that there's perfect alignment between you and your leaders. So you don't need to check in with each other all the time and make sure everyone's aligned. And you as a leader don't need to look over the shoulder of everyone around you. And the only way to do this is to not only get to know each other and trust each other, but it's is to make sure that everyone is aligned. And how do you do this? Well, the best way I've, I've encountered people to get alignment is to spend the time to get alignment and then separate just like just like how police interview witnesses and ask them the same question and see if you get the same answer, basically, if people are not seated in the same room. Ideally, if you ask the question, how do we create success? Everyone in the company should give you roughly the same answer because you've got alignment on what takes your company to success here. Uh, and this is, again, one of those things that might sound a little bit asinine and self-explanatory that, but you wouldn't believe how many, like this is the one of the first things you can uh, look for signs of trouble. If you ask people a, a very core question, such as what takes us to success, and you get different answers from different people, you're in trouble. And if you get different answers from important leaders within your organization, you're in really big trouble. So as a test, I would urge anyone who's looking at this, if you would ask your team individually, a salient question like this, would you get right answers? And that's how you kind of achieve uh, alignment. So coming back to, to the pitfall, not growing through your leaders is one of the, one of the trickiest things of, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's a bad way of achieving growth. You'll grow, but you're probably going to grow in 10 different directions because at, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, everyone has, has an opinion. So to be able to actually lead a team, you actually need to have a team. And we all know that in the game industry, you can't just open up the pantry and then pull out a can of like whoop ass uh, industry recruits that you can add to your team. So how do you find, but not just find, how do you recognize those rock star current and aspiring leaders? Because they're not available by the dozen. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Uh, the uh, a, a third uh, pitfall or a, a a common mistake that is made uh, is is hiring poorly. And maybe your question is, how do you find them? That's 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 one way of looking at it. Another one is, how do you go about um, picking the right ones when you yeah, actually exactly. start? How do you recognize them? who they well, are? Uh, again, I think to answer that question, maybe we need to start talking about. Uh, your leaders first because they're the ones you should be recruiting first or whoever you have there will be leading others as they come along um and i think that some of the, the some of the big mistakes i've seen over the years when it comes to recruiting leadership um is that and is it also applies to non-leader roles but in general not being super clear with people about what their objectives and deliverables are when they are hired is is one of the biggest common mistakes i.e you want to make it as easy as possible for somebody to succeed or fail in some ways when you're hiring essentially you want to give them some kind of deliverable goal which you can measure them against and ask yourself are they doing well or not if you can't measure their success i would say that either uh they're the not the right person for your organization or you've been a pretty bad leader in setting measurable goals 
And I think another part of this to maybe kind of come back to your question is that I probably don't know of one single skill a business leader could have that could have such overarching positive impact on the business as the ability to be good at interviews. And this is this is like you talked about growth and underestimating it, like it's just something that exists there. It's it's the same thing with hiring and interviewing. Like nobody, I don't know, nobody springs out of bed or goes to any kind of higher education and saying, oh boy, if I'm just good at you know becoming better at interviewing, it's going to solve so many problems. But it's really true because it's just if you hire the wrong person, it just has massive implications down the line. If you're good at interviewing, you're better at faster finding the the right candidates and i have a really simple pointer in how to become a, a good interviewer and that's actually to cheat instead of you becoming good at interviewing you should, maybe you should ask somebody who's been interviewing for 20 years what their questions are because they've gone through the trial of error of being bad interviewers and becoming good interviewers so ask them what their common questions are because there are actually some questions that allow you to suss out a character's somebody's character quite quickly. I'm going to relay two of them because these are my two favorites. One comes from uh, Mitch, who's uh, uh, what's his last name? Completely blanking. Mitch Gittleman, who's the uh, studio manager at HBS. His, he has an excellent question that he asks every candidate, and he's worked in the games industry for about 500 years, he always says. And he says like this, after, after like an hour of interview or 30 minutes of interview, he kind of looks, he bores his eyes deep into the soul and eyes of the, the person he's interviewing. Um, and then, and at this point in the interview, they've got this familiar kind of tone and they're, they've been joking around. And then he, he kind of switches tracks and he says, if I hire you and we work together for six months, I'm going to know something about you that I don't know today. I'm going to know some truth about who you are that it's going to take six months for me to discover. How about you tell me what that is right now instead? And it's silly, but this actually works because what's going to happen is that most people are going to do what you're doing, kind of having a smirk, and they'll know what that thing is, and they're probably going to say it. Uh, another another good question that I get, and this might sound silly as well, but I think this is an honestly a good question. It comes from the CEO of Raw Fury, Jonas Antonsson. A question he often asks his people that he's interviewing is, you're headed out the door. This is a role-playing scenario. You're heading out the door uh, to an important interview. You're about to lock the door and can't find your keys. What do you do? And then have that candidate talk through the process. Do they just leave the door unlocked? Do they run home? Or do they protest and say, that would never happen to me? Or would they say, I have a safety system built in because I would call my wife and we have spare keys? Just how they've organized this little aspect of their life, he feels, actually says a lot about the, the person in, 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 uh, in charge that we're talking about. So slide aside with interview questions, but really becoming better at interviewing is probably the best thing that comes to, when it comes to leadership and finding the right people uh, in general. And another point of wisdom, which I still ascribe to 100%, is that you should hire for attitude, not skill set. Uh, of course, if you have a company that's growing very quickly, it's going to be very hard to train people at the same time. So you need the balance here. But in general, I find that find hiring for attitude is is much, much better uh, in general. Um, a lot of companies, you know, interview 
have like five or seven interviews before they hire somebody. Some people think this is absolutely nuts. I think it's pretty smart. I think you just need to find a good format for having those five to seven interviews so you're not spending a tremendous amount of your time and then somebody else's time to just to say no. But I think that the most costly mistake you can do is to hire the wrong person. Um, is there anything else? Else, else to watch out for? Well, it depends on your country where you're where based. Here in Sweden, where I'm based out of, we generally have a six-month probationary period when we hire folks. Um, uh, and um, in my experience, probationary periods are not exercised enough. Uh, and what happens often is that people get softball challenges uh, or or weren't given enough clear guidance or measurable goals to perform or fail against. Uh, so it, the whole purpose is not kind of served. So I think it's very important to have those measurable goals, set clear expectations. And after two months, if somebody's been given clear goals and measurable uh, targets, and they're not able to hit those, maybe that person is in, in the wrong place. Um, if a person is not doing well by month two, I am seldom to see that they're suddenly doing great by month six. Uh, and this might sound incredibly brutal, of course, uh, but I want to have the big disclaimer that this doesn't mean that that person isn't great. It probably just means that the combination of them, their skill set, you, your leadership, and the company is probably not thriving. Again, assuming that you've been clear in setting goals and, and requirements on them. Uh, I've seen tons of rock stars, super underperform. Um, because they've been given the wrong manager or the wrong description of a task. And I've seen people who have not been stellar rise to the occasion because they've been great. And, you know, sometimes companies are not a good fit. And that, that just means that they will be superstars somewhere else. And I don't think you need to kind of beat yourself bloody trying to get somebody to work if it's, if it's not working. Uh, but, you know, the, the standard caveats of, uh, you know, Getting those uh, label laws to work in your country obviously apply, uh, but it's uh, it's tricky. And I've personally been terrible and good, depending on who I've been with in, in different times in my career, right? Uh, but that's a general takeaway I've had and see that people end up not making the tough decisions early on and instead pay for them long term uh, after a while. And that's not just hiring, it's every damn project uh, under the sun. Uh, because making tough decisions is tough, I would say. To be honest, two of the uh, best interviews that I've done with two of the candidates that I've interviewed were interviews where after 15 to 20 minutes, we mutually realized this is not a fit. This is not going to work. You know what? Let's have another coffee and just have a casual chat. And then, you know, yeah, let's, let's part friends because this is just not going to work. So do you do do you have any kind of good standard interview questions that you know really bore into the soul of the candidate and you know lay everything bare and um well you know me like you know I'm prepared but yeah. that's the kind of thing that I write down in a list somewhere so I'm happy to look those up for you but I don't have yeah. them handy right now no but I like because I think that you you'd ask some really fucking tough questions so so I would have yeah. been you know one one that I do like to ask is why do you want to work in the game industry and then yeah. I emphasize that I don't want to hear that they like games because I really don't give a shit that you've been playing games for 15 years like 
we all have. This yeah. is a known, like known quantity. I yeah. want to know why you care about working in this industry because it's brutal. Like you are going to be confronting yourself so many times while you're working in this industry. It's not anywhere remotely close to playing games. This is not useful information. So that is one where I always want to dig in. Like why, why the, the interactive experiences industry, why entertainment yeah. games? So that's always one I find interesting to ask. So say that you uh, have the bizarre skill of bringing together an excellent team of current and upcoming leaders through those hiring practices, and they are aligned with your vision, mission, and strategy. But it turns out, as we know in this industry, they are all creative unicorn snowflakes with a historical baggage with a capital B, and they mix about as well as water and oil. So you need a catalyst, something that brings folks together. How about culture? Yeah, uh, I think uh, uh, you put it in, in a poetic way, but you're right in the sense that uh, coming back to what I just answered, the seeing rock stars completely fall apart uh, or something that has all the great building blocks not work. And often when it comes back to is um, underestimating culture as a part of uh, growth and not understanding how important culture is um as as a force multiplier in in creating good growth um so um and again just like your attitude when it comes to growth culture is something that exists whether you want it or not it's it's going to happen like you're either growing or stagnating culture exists it's just there uh it's everything you do as a leader the way you solve problems, the way you speak, the, the way you handle defeats, everything exudes and breathes, have these ripples of cult culture across the, the whole company. Uh, they speak volumes. That ultimately comes back to the leaders. Every single thing sets a precedent and creates culture. Um, and thus, the best way to grow a a, a company, and especially a fast-growing company, is not, in my belief, through direction, i.e. having leaders saying things. Um, it is by creating a, a desired culture, by creating a culture of uh, excellence, uh, by creating a culture of flexibility, a culture of humility, uh, having a culture where a leader can say, oh, shit, I fucked up. This is completely wrong. Uh, let's pivot and do something differently. Your idea was much better. That's when you create, you know, a culture of safety where you have this psychological safety where people see that screwing up is a natural part of progressing and that person wasn't, you know, thrown out the first sign of trouble, but that we have to learn and, and work together. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list.
And especially if you've hired somebody uh, with uh, on the basis of an attitude and then have the right culture, people can really thrive uh, where where they're headed. And you don't sit, need to be like what common mistake a lot of managers do is that they micromanage and try to just push people's uh, performance up, uh, which is a huge mistake. If you set a bar and create a culture of excellence, people are going to hold themselves and those around them accountable to, to living up to that culture. Um, and this is obviously... And this is tricky to do, and I'll come back to this. Uh, but that on on the corollary on the side of that, if you're on one hand leading uh, culture by example and setting a precedent and and being the good Optimus Prime you want to be for everyone else, uh, at the same time you need to also then stamp out culture that you don't think is going to be beneficial for your company. Um, don't don't think that it's going to sort itself out over time if you see early signs of like that's that doesn't quite align with our culture and what we are you should probably nip that in the bud before it gets too long because at the end of the day every person who comes into the company brings their own unique spin of culture to the mix because everyone has a history like dice has one culture paradox has one culture like uh um and all that mix is needed but they'll bring their spin to it and you have to constantly be it's like any, you know, it's like, you know, marriage or relationships. You can't take it for granted. You have to work on it all the time. And it's the same thing with culture. And uh, if you don't actively lead through culture, culture is going to be set for you. And uh, you might find yourself on the receiving end of culture that um, within the company that doesn't take you to to where you want to go. And when I say this, usually... Uh, I get a bunch of hands in the audience like, but how does this actually play with diversity? And diversity is incredibly important uh, when we talk about building companies. And in my view, this 100% works, right? But this is how I kind of see it. Diversity means that having people with different experiences and mindsets from many different walks of life and perspectives. What you want to avoid is echo chambers and confirmation bias and a lack of understanding of other perspectives. Diversity does not mean that every single background is necessarily needed, depending on what kind of company you're you're running, uh, right? And this is, it might sound controversial, but it actually is not. And I'm gonna provide you two examples to make it slightly clearer. If you're making, if you're running an indie game studio where you're making narrative games, artsy games that are very beautiful, just two hour games, Maybe having somebody who's a business douche in the company who's all all they do is talking about adding NFTs and DLCs to your game is perhaps not the type of diversity you want in the company, right? And in the sake of diversity, nobody's out there hiring racists because of getting a you know uh, another view uh, to the palette because that's not what we need. So I think to kind of summarize it, figure out what your shtick is for your company. And within that spectrum, find as much diversity as possible and find people that have different uh, perspectives on that. Um, uh, so I think that you can build a culture uh, in the way you want it and have uh, diversity within that. And I can tell you that even if you don't go about it doing it this way, people still end up having a certain direction for their for their um, uh, uh, 
you know cultural spectrum anyway uh i would say um so and and this comes back to if we're talking about growth the most important thing you can do is that set the expectations day one that this is a growth company and that flexibility is favored over efficiency and if people are not comfortable with constant growth maybe they're at the wrong company and if you set that expectation and again if you hire on attitude if you hire for people who already ascribe to a growth mentality they're going to have a much easier time to all with all the twists and turns of um uh the company and and finally the best part of building culture a, a growth culture is two simple things and they're both fun the first is celebrating success because at the end of the day you're building a team of rock stars you need to celebrate everything that's successful big or small and celebrate your fuck-ups because they're great teachers and then that's how you learn and you build a culture of learning within the studio that making mistakes is not the worst thing it's about making the company and everyone else better essentially and it contributes to that feeling of psychological safety that we were mentioning mm -hmm. before. So um, we still have some topics to cover, and, and I see that we're already running a little a little short in time. I'm, talk I'm um, talking too much. Yeah. You're sharing so much. I know. Uh, I'll talk faster. <laughs> so your team is packed and ready to go, but then you open up Google Maps and you discover that there aren't just a lot of roads that lead to Rome, but there are also just as many transportation methods that can get you there. So how do you figure out what the journey for your team, for your company should be? Okay. What is um, it that you should do and shouldn't do? So this is something I come back to. If, if anyone's ever listened to the podcast, like every, you get a buzzword bingo every time I use the word opportunity cost. The, the other side of opportunity cost is the concept of leverage and you said like the, people are not fully aware of this when we were talking about the kind of uh, the topics of today but i want to i want to really emphasize the concept of leverage uh when you're growing and that essentially means to me that every, you should always be asking yourself what is the best use of my time and it's obviously this is impossible to answer if we go back to the original thing that we're talking about which is having a clear goal if you know where you're headed, you probably have a much easier time of answering the question, what is the best thing I could be using my time on? If you don't, you're screwed. So, and, and, and having this mindset is almost as much as a culture thing. Having a culture of leverage is constantly asking yourself, am I doing something that gives us maximum output or could I be doing something that is better? And it's on the surface, this is a super, super easy thing to do. And you can do it towards yourself, but it's really, it's hard because you need to be challenged. And whenever we get into the gnarly territory of challenging each other, asking the question, could you be spending your time on better things is quite, it's a loaded question, right? And that comes back to having a culture of a company where asking that type of question is easier to do. And it's, but this problem of finding leverage is so hard that I think actually it has to be forced on people. And the best way I can think of forcing people to think in terms of leverage, and this might be popular with some folks, is to have a hard cap on how many days and hours they can work a week. I'm a huge proponent of the four-day work week, a hard cap on 32 hours of work. Because if you do a hard cap, what, what you're going to find is that suddenly people become very good at prioritizing what's most important if they're motivated people. And people are going to naturally 
work on the stuff that gives us most leverage. I had an incredibly hard time doing this for myself until I was on paternity leave and literally didn't have more than 32 hours uh, to spend on work. And I ended up spending those on the stuff that mattered the most. So if you as a person in, in your you know, life, in a growth company, in a game development studio, if you can think in terms of what is the best thing I could use my time on is the best. And the other side is, of course, the opportunity cost. If I say yes to this, I'm saying no to something else. What if that thing is, is something even better? Like, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's easy to understand in, in, in practical terms. It's, it's incredibly hard to do in practical terms. Um, and I think we understand this in a lot of ways. Like if, if I stay in a bad relationship, I'm probably not going to find my soulmate. If I sign with a, uh, the wrong publisher, I'm probably not going to find the right publisher. If I stay at the wrong career, I'm probably not going to find my next thing. So hence, um, not being at Paradox anymore. So uh, I think that if... And, and what we what happens all the time is in the games industry because we all also like having fun is that we end up chasing a lot of shiny things. Something interesting pops up, and it might be a celebrity, a cool IP, a trend, uh, and we end up chasing that because it's so cool. Instead of asking ourselves, is this actually what's going to create most growth for our business, or whatever it is. Um, so physical live events, for instance, is very time consuming for a lot of uh, developers and publishers alike. Do they actually give you bang for your buck? Uh, I would say. So concept of leverage, that's one, one of my favorite things. Yeah, and, and something that I felt uh, very important at that as well. It's like we want to do it. It harkens back to what you mentioned before, is that we have the tendency to try and do a lot of these things ourselves. But at some point, we also have to acknowledge that maybe there are other people that are better at doing the things that yep. uh, this is why you look for a publisher. This is why you look for uh, a partner, for example, in PR, because they are doing this all the time. And that also means that sometimes there are things within your development process that may be more efficient and more effective when done by a partner externally. So this is part of it. Like, what is, how can you enable your team to do what they are best at? Yep. So, yeah, that that's, yeah, something, it can be a very expensive if you don't do that. Uh, so one of the final topics that we have is that along this journey of growth, you are going to learn a lot because you're going to fail a lot. It's, mm -hmm. it's inevitable. So personally, I might even uh, advocate for seeking out failure early and often, as, as often as possible. Uh, but then we need to know how we can actually make the most of those failures. Yeah, uh, no, I think you're right. And I kind of touched upon this when I was talking about the, in the culture section, because you're going to see it. Like culture is a, obviously a, 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 the, the thread that connects every, all of these together. And I've said it, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast and it, it eats leadership for breakfast as well. Uh, but I think that the biggest, the last pitfall that I see uh, screwing over or uh, making or breaking companies when it comes to growth is how you handle mistakes. Uh, and... I think that it's, you know, you could, you could describe it in many different ways, but I sometimes put it in terms of like, what is your self-correcting process? What is the self-correcting process that you have within the company? One of the biggest success factors for Paradox over the years of growth um, for a very long time was that we screwed up all the time. And it wasn't only because of incompetence, it was, but it was because of the higher growth. And naturally, we had to make a lot of decisions very fast, 
uh, all the time, and naturally many of them were not correct. But we, there was always this process of asking ourselves what went wrong, uh, what could we have done differently, and these were built into many parts of the company for a very long time. And it was easier to maintain when Paradox was a smaller company. When you're 200, if somebody does a really good postmortem and they talk about what we've changed in our processes as a result of that postmortem, that kind of permeated it and spread across the company much faster because they were sitting in the mess hall having the workshop. When you're a company of 800 people, you're barely aware of what's happening two offices down, especially during a pandemic when you never see anyone. So having these self-correcting processes was, was something that allowed to paradox to maintain a break breakneck speed of growth because the most egregious uh, errors that were made were self-corrected through organic means in the company. Um, so, I mean, um, this mindset allowed us to kind of course correct for stuff that that was wrong across the board. All of these areas that I talked about, like uh, if there was an error in leadership, we could self-correct that. If it was a leader, a, an error in culture, we could correct that. If somebody was not leveraging their work enough, we could correct that. So it was another one of those layers that we could lay on top of everything. Uh, and that it, it allowed us to achieve uh, a lot of growth. And Paradox had an incredible uh, kind of growth over those years. Uh, we had like, 30% year-on-year growth in both profit and revenue, which is virtually unheard of outside of uh, video games uh, for like a bajillion years. And when the company became much bigger, that became incredibly hard to maintain. Um, uh, but that kind of self-corrective uh, process that allowed, that, uh, that ensured that our leaders held themselves accountable uh, to a higher standard. It, it made sure that they were aimed towards the same direction. It made sure that people were challenging each other. Um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's one of the most important things. And if you and it, it it comes it comes with the territory. Everyone knows if you if you don't learn from your mistakes, you end up making really costly ones, and and you don't improve. Um, so having that built in uh, is, is incredibly important. And I, I think that's, those are the kind of, I would, I would say, main cornerstones. And they have, as you can hear, quite a bit of overlap, leadership with culture, culture with self-correctiveness, uh, recruiting ties into all of these things. And, uh, but it all comes back to kind of having a, a, a mindset that growth is not something that just, just happens. It, you have to actively plan for it. You have to consider it, you have to talk about it, you have to contextualize it, you have to motivate it to people and make them understand and kind of, um, it, it's, it, it, you want it to be a constant companion instead of this weird poltergeist that's always weighing you down over your shoulder. Great. So it, yeah. it's looking like we might have time for one or two questions. So if anyone in the audience has a question, feel free to deposit it now. Uh, as we head up into head into wrap up, uh, we will be able to see it and we can pop it up on screen. So uh, Shams, you've you've shared a lot of different insights on all the different topics that we had uh, outlined along that yeah. growth journey. Um, but if the audience should take anything away from the session in, in a quick summary, what are the most important points? Oh, uh, okay. Um, so first off, build your team for the goals that you actually need to achieve. 
ask yourself that if scaling fast is the best way to run your marathon, maybe it turns out it's not. But regardless of how you do the growth, make sure it's being done for a specific purpose. Uh, I think that's that's the first one and most important one. I think that I've said it before and I'll say it again. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, establish a culture of excellence and a culture of learning. If you just focus on two things, uh, and uh, that's going to take you far. And I think, uh, um, and if I can do one more, I would say that maybe the right people matter way more than uh, many people. Uh, and doing both is really hard. You can't hire a lot of people and make sure that they're the right people. Uh, you you have to be incredibly lucky to do both. So I think those would be the, the three. Um, if I could only choose three, I would also like to mention leverage and opportunity cost 500 more times, but you know, I I'd only have three. Uh, but I'd be happy to field questions. Um, uh, what's your top advice for an indie game studio without a track record? Oof. Uh, I would come back to Juni's um, uh, thing. Uh, fail fast, fail early, uh, and fail small. Uh, I've I've looked at many different game pitches over the past few days uh, from people here who've had re they've had a kernel of a really good idea. There's something genuinely good there, uh, but before that idea has been fully matured to a point where it's it can stand on its own legs, they're also talking about let's do art, let's do additional game modes, let's do all of those things, and uh, uh, you're setting yourself up for taking um, very big risks. So fail fast and fail early, and make sure that 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 most important inner part of the onion is as rock solid as it can be. Um, I would say. All right. And then Alejandro asks, when should I post a coming soon page on Steam as a new and small indie studio? Uh, in my experience, and, and maybe Junior have a different perspective, I don't know if there's, uh, you can't be too early. Uh, obviously, strut your stuff. So don't show off stuff unless it, it it's representative of what you're building and it gets people excited. So don't just show something that isn't looking great. But there's no harm in being uh, up and early. I think the only times it's uh, it's really bad if if you're going to work with a publisher who really really wants to keep things secret i don't i don't think it's a huge issue just when it looks good enough i would i would go public with it do you agree um yeah i think for me putting anything live is part of risk mitigation i think the kinds of projects that would fit with publishers that want to keep everything secret are probably looking for veteran teams with large budgets. Yeah, so, so for me, if you are a new indie studio starting out, you want to spread your risk. I mean, I'm a producer, so I'm all about yeah, mitigating yeah. risk, no, right? But yeah. What I could that, say is that me. the regrets I've had when people have approached us as a publisher is that when they've already set the price point, when they've already declared all the features and just spilled all the beans, uh, it makes it incredibly hard for a publisher to come in and do what they're good at, which is the marketing mm -hmm. and sales aspect of it. But, you know, I like what, um, uh, you know, uh, you, you could have a project name, you can be coy on some of the stuff, but some of the stuff that's very uh, core, you can be uh, open about, I would say. Um, yeah. All right. Next up from Thomas, uh, any tips on working towards growth and being flexible while at the same time providing a vision for your leads to work with? <laughs> that's a, that's rewatch the whole talk. Uh, um, I want the, everything at once. 
No, uh, tips on working towards growth and being flexible. Um, it's a really tricky question. I think it's, I think that um, if you want to be flexible, I think that you need to, um, what, what's good is to have, be very, and we did this at Paradox, even on the management level, and we did when we were smaller. We were very clear on what the short-term goals were. We were somewhat more nebulous on the midterm goals, and we were very vague in the long-term uh, goals. But we still made sure that everyone was aligned towards those uh, things. We had this idea long-term that we wanted to be the connoisseur's choice for hardcore endless games. We did, we weren't necessarily specific in the fact that it has to be a, you know, ski resort manager, but we knew that it had to be uh, towards a certain direction. So I think that if you can get an alignment on what the long-term goals are um, and be uh, flexible on those, it, when it makes sense, is a good one. Um, I'd be I'd be yeah, happy I... to follow up on that. It's a it's a complex question. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's what you said, like being clear, but also being transparent and having constant ongoing communication about whenever your your direction changes and if for you uh growth and being flexible is is important then maybe that should be part of your vision yeah exactly no exactly if, if th that's a very good point sounds like flexibility is important then build that into the vision uh, i think you're right yeah. i think we have time for for a final question i see that that there's one more um, yep. So, how to achieve balance and diversity for a small team of only three or four people? Right. Obviously, that's hard. I would tell you to not kill yourself over this necessarily from the get-go. Like, when you're small, you have to make a lot of compromise in, in a lot of different areas. In business, in, in the marketability of the game, in diversity. I don't think necessarily it's a non-starter if you can't achieve the level of diversity you want from day one uh but then take that to heart and take it with you on the journey and make sure that's a priority for when you actually have the possibility to to achieve those goals and i think it, th this this applies to any goal that is hard to achieve when you're a team of small people uh like diversity is going to be hard being a bunch of stuff are, are also going to be hard when you're a small team, but uh, try to be pragmatic about it. And it doesn't mean to me that you shouldn't do it if, if you can't be diverse enough. Uh, you can you can find diversity or other things as you go along um, uh, throughout the process. I think that you've you've actually you've actually done half of the work by the fact that you recognize maybe that you are not diverse in a team of three or four people, and then you already know what you want to course correct for. Uh, I think that you're in a, you're, you're probably in a better position than a lot of other people who don't reflect uh, over this or understand that, that that's something that need to take into account. Uh, and, and something that I would add to that is there is a good chance that your team is actually a lot more diverse than you're aware of. So there are a lot of ways in which one can be diverse. There are a lot of different minorities, but there are also a lot of different backgrounds. So know your team and like, go talk to them, see what their interests are, see what their uh, experience, their background is, because there's a lot in there that could be of value that could be adding to your yep. team that, you know, you didn't acknowledge before. So we, we have one final question that we can uh, get up on screen. How can you support and help your manager slash lead slash CEO to set the culture and goals for your company if there's no culture or goals currently present, but the company has been running for a while? Excellent. So 
this is uh, this comes back to um, I think just by asking the question, you're setting a culture of uh, excellence and accountability. I think you should ask them. And like, I think we need to define this. What is our culture? What takes us to growth uh, or success? And uh, ask for a clarification. I mean, it's not crazier than asking for what are our goals as a company in terms of the game and anything else, any leadership should provide a directive for where you're headed long-term, including a cultural perspective on this is absolutely minimum level in my view. And I'd be happy to convince them that it should be if they don't agree. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and this is, most companies don't have cultural pillars of what defines uh, your culture. Uh, and I'm sure that your team has it. And if you talk to the neighboring team, they might have different ones, but it should ideally be built together uh, uh, on a on a company level, so just hold them accountable in a good constructive way, but hold them accountable. All right, so time to wrap up. Time to wrap um, up. Yes, I'm going to just pop in here. I would take it over for you. Thank you, Junie. And guess what, everybody? We're going to see Junie in a couple hours too. So she's going to go and take a little cat nap, or maybe go for a walk. Thank you so much, Shams, for uh, hanging out with us. We appreciate both of you guys. This was. Awesome. Even if Thomas says, I'm going to post this up here. Bam. You both have been great. Thank you much, so much for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing. What do we hey, got hey, next? But, go but, ahead. What, what, hang on. Like, we still want to know where Shams's growth story, journey is going to go next. Okay, let's hear that. I, I actually don't know, but I'll be happy to stay in touch with folks. If people have more questions, I'm available on, on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Just ping me. I'd be happy to talk to folks. Uh, that's the best way to kind of get in touch with me. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll sh keep sharing my screw-ups as I make them because I'm going to make many more. Well, you know what? That's the – people are wise if they can, you know, learn from other people's mistakes, right? Learning Hopefully. from your own mistakes, that's easy, right? Okay. But learning from other people's mistakes, man, yeah. and I have a hard head. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like uh, – I, I have to learn from my own mistakes, which is – uh, actually, I don't have to. I don't have to do that anymore. I can look at somebody else and say, oh, I don't want to make that mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, next, we have, is there anything else? We still got two minutes. Anything else you want to drop or say or promote or anything? No. Uh, no, I'm just, no, I'm just happy. I have to say, I have to say, I've been, I have met maybe 10, 12 meetings. They've been really good teams and great pitches with a lot of great potential. So it's, it's been a really fun event uh, in that sense. Amazing. Right. So. That's awesome. And what's up, Justin? Good to see you, man. We are happy to see you. Yeah, the Meet to Match event is, is, is amazing. So let me tell you what we got next. I love the name of this, Failing While Scaling. You picked a really good name for this, this talk Thank here. You. So this one is how to make the press pay attention to your game, which is super important, right? You can't just reach out and say, look at my game because I get thousands of emails all the time so yeah that is going to be with kate gray so thank you all so much we'll see you thanks, in a little guys. bit Junie. bye bye thanks for listening to indie game business you can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business